Hello and welcome to the Quietly Visible podcast. I'm your host, Carol Stewart, author of Quietly Visible, leading with influence and impact as an introverted woman and founder of Abounding Solutions. And this is the podcast for introverted women who want to thrive as leaders and in life. And today's topic is something which we all need to be mindful of and aware of and something that which we need to challenge and call out. And what we're speaking about today is microaggressions. And I have with me a fabulous woman, an amazing woman, Dr. Jummy Okoya, and she is a highly accomplished leadership and organization development consultant with more than two decades experience. She's an experienced educator, trainer, and researcher within the public and private sectors. She is a program advisor at Oxford University said business school. She's a race consultant with advanced HE, a race project lead for the Chartered Management Institute, the associate program leader for the MSc Human Resource Management and chair of the Women's Network at the University of East London. She's also a member of the Chartered Association of Business Schools Race Equity Action Group and a board member of the Chartered Management Institute Women. She holds a PhD in Human Resource Management and Entrepreneurship, an MSc in Positive Psychology and Coaching Psychology. And there are so many more accolades that she holds as well. So hello, Jummy, and welcome. Thank you for having me, Carol. Hi, everyone. I'm so delighted to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And this is a topic which I, I personally am very interested in. But before we delve into the conversation, just tell us a little bit about you and your work. Thank you. Um, Carol, um, my career, as you rightly mentioned, um, spans across um, several sectors. Um, but I've been in um, academia for two decades now. But in the last um, five to six years, I've done more consulting for organizations um, who are looking to improve their leadership and talent and, you know, mostly kind of advising and consulting around um, EDI, but also looking at um, supporting leaders around personal development for themselves and especially women who are new into leadership and ways to be kind of more emotionally intelligent supporting them in their role to grow in their role and um, using process psychology lenses to kind of you know look at the whole um, human being around you know well-being and human flourishing. Great thank you for that and so I know microaggressions is a, a topic that you are quite passionate about so what are microaggressions is something that we are hearing a lot of you know, of recent years. So what exactly are microaggressions? Um, Carol, microaggressions are typically um, comments and actions that negatively target and marginalize specific groups. Um, these can be related to things like race, gender, sexual orientation, mental health, and, you know, many more. Um, but I think, you know, one thing that is key to mention here is that it is common for, you know, the perpetrators of, you know, microaggression 
not to intend to kind of hurt their you know, victims. But when we talk about microaggression, it's not the intent of the individual that we're looking at. It is the impact that is having on their victims. So it is something to, you know, to be taken seriously. And, you know, as you mentioned, it's become really kind of common now. People talk about it more, but also organizations are starting to pay attention to ways of, you know, identifying it, dealing with it, and making sure that the reporting process is easier. Yeah. And so what are some examples uh, of which it may um, be displayed in the workplace or um, how it might manifest in the workplace? Mm. So um, I think kind of, you know, categorizing it or kind of, you know, um, clustering it into three different types. So typically microaggressive behavior will show up in three different forms. The first one uh, would be um, like micro assaults. You know, this is when a person intentionally behaves in a discriminatory way um, even though their intention is not to be offensive to their victim. For example, um, somebody describing someone's race out of context or maybe even telling a racist joke and then finding a way to defend it. The second one would be, or another um, category would be micro insults. Uh, and this is typically unintentional behaviors and verbal comments that convey rudeness. Um, for example, uh, if you tell someone, oh, this, you know, you speak well for a black person, or you act as if you're surprised that an individual holds, you know, an important position, or, oh, you're a doctor, or your family must be proud of you, when in actual fact, that, in, that individual is from a family of doctors. Uh, so again, that would be, an example of um, micro insults. The third category is micro invalidation. And this is when a person's comments invalidate or undermine the experience of a certain group of people. So for example, um, two people of different races can work in the same organization, but have two completely different experience when it comes to the kind of support that they received in, in their career progression. So the person who has had a positive experience um, then flat out almost you know, denying the experience of the other person, we say the experience hasn't been you know, particularly uh, good. So you would find that people of color sometimes um, kind of trying to make uh, maybe a white colleague see that their experience in the organization hasn't been very you know, supportive or good, but the white colleague may not have experienced that and as a result, almost kind of denying or invalidating the experience of that person of color. So that would be an example of micro invalidation. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's necessary to, to add at this point that it's often hard to pick up on microaggression because sometimes they can come across as positive or you know, a compliment when they're clearly not. Yeah, and um, um, there's a couple of things that come to my mind which I'd like to explore. One is about how the with the, the the perpetrator, as I'll call them, the person that is delivering the microaggression, and yeah. 
where that comes from in them. And then the other one is how uh, someone should deal with or challenge a microaggression. So, yeah. so, so where do these microaggressions um, stem from in terms of why people? Carol, I think t- typically um, individuals who are kind of display, displaying microaggressive behavior towards you know, other people uh, could be out of ignorance, um, lack of education, um, particularly about the other race or the other person. Um, but also if you think about um, how an individual respond to microaggression. So if you're the individual that is facing it, how should you respond? I think the first thing I would say is it depends on the relationship that you have with the individual. Um, You might want to kind of weigh in your mind, uh, is what I'm hearing um, exactly what this person means? And you might want to explore with them. So to kind of, you know, challenge them and ask question around, did you just say, what you just said can you tell me a bit more why did you say what you said you know um that gives the the perpetrator an opportunity to clarify or maybe to reaffirm and restate what they said and that at that point you can then decide whether you know clearly you want to take it up with them again um in challenging uh, microaggression uh, we also have to remember that it does require courage so um, the victim may not have the courage because, you know, for some people, courage isn't a default position for them. Uh, so it does require courage. And also it's a bit of a risk. So if you work in an environment where you know that if you challenge someone um, and report it, um, if you know that it's, it's likely that nothing will happen because maybe they perpetrated by someone of influence or who has some kind of power, um, or they belong to maybe a a majority group, um, you have to then carefully think of what has been the precedence in this, you know, know, workplace or this environment. Um, Has there been cases where people have reported and nothing has happened, or people have reported and the matter has been swept under the carpet. So it does take a, a bit of, you know, assessment to, to decide, you know, how to challenge, when to challenge. So you need to kind of um, determine whether you want to take it up with the individual, but when you do, uh, it does require you making the person realize how they've made you feel as a result of what they said or how they acted towards you. Right. And it's, it's interesting. Um, I was, I, I saw on um I think it was Facebook recently a someone who I I used to go to school with a, a comment or a post that they'd made it, it was it was after the um the euros the finals and and the fallout from that yeah and I saw this comment that somebody has put uh, a white guy that oh you know he, he's got black friends and at school you know they're all used to Play together and blah 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 and he used to call them and he mentioned a particular name which I won't mention yeah. in here um and all was good we used to laugh and joke about it all was good and was, you know this, as if to say that it, it didn't affect the people that he was calling the name and I thought mm-hmm. to myself but well 
how does he know the mm-hmm. impact that yeah. it has on them? Um, mm-hmm. And also when people are constantly hearing those microaggressions, um, what the long um, lasting effects of those are. I think, you know, Carol, these, these question you've just asked is, you know, very fundamental, especially, you know, what places will value uh, their, their staff, their employees, um, but also even at individual level, you know, relationship with, you know, friends, family. Um, we have to be become really, really alert and aware to, you know, the negative impact of microaggression, especially over a long period of time. It can actually, you know, impact the individual psychologically, emotionally, and even, you know, manifest physically in terms of their health. You know, it can leave individuals, you know, kind of dealing with mental health issues like, you know, depression, giving people anxiety as a result of, you know, having to deal with microaggression over a long period of time. And, you know, if something isn't done about, especially in work environment, you may actually find um, an individual uh, abstaining from work as a result of not wanting to confront the, the perpetrator or not feeling you know, confident to challenge it and having to put up with it may lead to you know, that individual becoming less productive, feeling undervalued you know, in the workplace, um, lower kind of you know, job satisfaction, less confidence in themselves and their, you know, and their talent. So there's a whole raft of you know, negatives that are associated with you know, dealing with microaggression on a sustained you know, period of time. And if you think about, you know, one-to-one relationship as well, if someone is, you know, like the example you gave, if someone is constantly calling the other person a a particular name that that person isn't happy with, but never said anything, um, it's a sign of, you know, almost kind of, you know, repressing your emotions or feelings because maybe you want to continue to be friends with that person, but clearly not happy with, you know, what's happening, but not saying anything. So it does have, many, many disadvantages and unhealthy consequences. And, and that's something that I can relate to. Um, and I remember as a child playing as the only black girl in my class, playing a game with um, my friends where I was, um, where I was made to, where I, they wanted me to always play a particular character. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, as, as children, as young children, little children, they, they probably didn't recognize the, the racism that was within that, but, mm-hmm. and neither did I. But I just knew that it felt uncomfortable. Um, and I believe that that, along with other experiences, impacted how I saw myself um, and seeing myself as not being good enough, mm-hmm. doubting myself, which led to things like self doubt, imposter syndrome, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I can see how they can be, as you say, they, they, the intention isn't to harm, but the impact can. Yes. And I think this is where leaders have an important role to play. And, you know, uh, maybe even HR professionals can actually play an important role. And this is about, you know, sending very clear message 
about, you know, your stand and your position if anyone is found to be kind of, you know, guilty of, you know, what we're talking about, you know, microaggression. Leaders need to role model, you know, behaviors that are acceptable and, you know, empower people, encourage them to report, you know, uh, if someone is, you know, displaying microaggressive behavior towards them. So empowering people to speak up when incidents, you know, happen, um, but, you know, as a victim, if, if you're the one at, at the receiving end, or if you're someone who has actually witnessed it, to actually go ahead and, you know, make sure that the people who can, you know, do something about it, get to hear about it, you know, and, you know, making sure that there is a clear message of zero tolerance of, you know, such behavior. But even, you know, going out, say, go one step further. And this is, you know, to be proactive and to make sure that, you know, as part of your policies and your practices in the organization, you let people know that you would, you know, stand up for them. You would, you know, do something about it. If it's reported, there will be a timely response to, to such complaint, but also make it easy for individuals to actually report it by maybe having an anonymous process where people don't feel kind of um, fearful to come forward. So if you anonymize the process and also kind of, you know, um, fast track the process. So give people the, the, the confidence to come forward because it's anonymized, but also uh, it gives them that measure of confidence in the process to know that something will be done about it. So signposting individuals to, to policies that will support them and advocating um, for making the reporting process, you know, as I said, anonymous. Yeah. No, thank you for that. And what, one of the things which I see often is um, microaggressions when it comes to introversion. And with yeah, introversion you know, in, the, in the workplace here in the UK, in the US and many other parts of the West, um, introversion is, there, there is an unfavorable bias towards introversion. And I see it played out a lot where People are told that they're too quiet, they need to speak up more, um, other things as well where comments are made. Mm -hmm. And that has a negative impact on the individual. Yeah. And introversion is not one of the protected characteristics. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just introversion, there are other, other things where, where you can see. So say, for example, when it comes to maybe body size or um, other things where comments may be made which can have a negative impact on somebody so how how does somebody or how, what would you suggest that for somebody to deal with those sorts of microaggressions um i think um the first one would be i'll refer back to what i said about you know being when an active bystander so if it's happening to someone and you happen to be the one to kind of you know witness it, you can become someone who actually speak up on their behalf because it could be that you have the right, you know, influence. You could be a colleague to that person. It could be that you understand the, the policy and the process of reporting. Therefore, you be the one to kind of, you know, um, go forward and report or even confront the perpetrator right there while it's happening because the introverted person may not, you know, feel up to it to actually, you know, challenge 
and the other person. The other example that I can think of or the other approach um, would also be to maybe recommend, um, you know, allies. So, you know, people who are allies in organization or within, you know, work environment would stand up or represent a particular group or, you know, the cause or, you know, what somebody believe, which may not even affect them in any way, but believe in what they you know, what this group stands for or what this individual is experiencing then provide you know the, the right support or use their own platform as a way of speaking up on behalf of that person. But at the very personal you know level, I would say if an individual you know is an introverted person, has experienced microaggression, don't feel comfortable to, to speak up at work, at the very least I would expect such a person to kind of you know um, share it with maybe a friend, a confidant at home, you know, or maybe a coach say it out because you can't continue to experience something as negative as that and continue to internalize it without doing anything because what we what, what that would do is it would build up negative emotions in you uh, over a period of time which can lead to you know several other unsavory you know um, consequences so um, as I mentioned I would you know say if there are active you know bystanders around, for such people to come forward, speak on behalf of this individual or report it or confront the perpetrator. Secondly, you know, make use of allies who might be within your department, within your you know, support network, within your organization, or if you belong to a network within your um, organization, you can also um, leverage that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the chair of the women's network at my university. And I know people have come to me to report things to me and they'll say, I really don't want to come forward and report it, but I just want to mention it to you. And I'll ask them, are you okay with me reporting it? Because I'll take this forward because you're a woman, I'm a woman, and this has happened to you in your you know, area of work. I'm going to take this you know, to the HR director. So in that case, that person has actually leveraged the women's network as a platform to speak up. So I think again, that would be another, you know, source of, you know, support for an individual. And as I said, lastly, maybe to use kind of, you know, talking therapy to, to share it with a friend, um, you know, a coach or somebody who can maybe give you that source of, you know, confidence and empowerment to allow you actually deal with it. Because what one thing you don't want to do is to actually leave it to continue um, without actually um, addressing it. Yes, and I think that is... Uh... A great point to you know if you don't feel that you're able to challenge it or address it yourself then look at getting support and as you say the employee networks the staff networks the different networks that are available in organizations can be a great sources of support in these areas mm-hmm. so Jimmy, you're a very successful you've had a very successful career you're a, a woman a black woman um, of which these characteristics are very prone to microaggressions and also you are introverted as well. So, you know, you have three different elements of, of that make up who you are, which are quite prone to microaggressions. Mm-hmm. What has your experience been? Have you been at the receiving end at all in, when you look back over your career? Can I, you know, I, I think when... People come on, you know, podcasts or programs like this, mm-hmm. or, you know, particularly I, I want to speak for myself when I've been to events 
where I've been, you know, asked to come and speak about something. I, I say, sometimes I say, there's no point me showing up if I'm not going to be authentic or share my story. And I want to say um, that I have experienced this in the past, but what has happened is over the years, I've become more wise in discerning, you know, microaggression. And also I've built up confidence to actually challenge, you know, perpetrators in a way that is comfortable for me and in a way that put that person in a place of discomfort for them to realize what they've said or what they've done to me and to make them feel the full gamut of, you know, the emotions that I've experienced as well. I would, you know, kind of, you know, share with them. So to answer your question, I have experienced it in the past. Um, and I think initially I've allowed it to kind of, you know, pass and not say anything because the individual that was actually being aggressive towards me was someone with more power and position and influence in my place of work. So I didn't feel confident to kind of stand up to them or challenge them. Um, but sub subsequently after, after that experience, I've, you know, kind of seek for, for help and I've spoken to a few people and they've kind of, you know, advised me as to, if it happens again, this is how you need to respond. And of course, you know, this has been like probably five, five, if not seven years ago. Uh, but right now I feel kind of I'm more knowledgeable about how subtle these things can be, and uh, but also how to kind of pick up on it and you know respond using some of you know the knowledge that I have and the you know approach to use. And how did you develop the confidence to challenge it? So I would definitely say um, the first one is education. So kind of educate myself in understanding ways that people can, whether intentionally or unintentionally, demean you, say make comments or behave that I used to think was okay, but you know, with more understanding of the subtleties that comes with you know this kind of behavior. I understand it more. I've attended a few workshops around what microaggression is, how to respond to it, how to actually decipher and identify what exactly it is, which then you know puts me in a position to know how to respond to it. So I would say part of it is learning to kind of you know discern and you know know when somebody's been you know um, aggressive towards me in a you know in a micro way. Um, but also, I think my confidence has also come from I've spoken to people within my network as a way of, you know, supporting myself. And they've shared their own experiences with me and how they dealt with it. You know, I, I then, you know, walk away from those, you know, conversation knowing that, OK, when this happened to me next time, I will use this approach. I'm more comfortable with this approach or that approach. But also knowing that not addressing it isn't an option. So learning or education, but also using, you know, people within my network as a way of, you know, getting support. I have to say that in terms of support within organization, it can seem almost invis invisible that, you know, almost like it's not there. 
And I know that HR does have a lot of, you know, resources and materials, and they're always willing to, to help. But you, hope, you have to do a bit of, you know, asking around or going to them in order to get that support. So I'll say if someone is experiencing microaggression, uh, it would be, uh, my, my, my advice would be, you know, to pluck that courage to actually speak to the person, use an approach where you're almost kind of checking with them. You said this, did you mean to say this? Because I'm just checking because I'm not sure. This is how I'm receiving your message or the behavior. And that, that gives that person an opportunity to clear the hair and say, it's, it's not what I mean. Or for them to say, yeah, this is what I said. Do you have a problem with that? So it gives both of you a fair chance to deal with the situation. But definitely, I don't deal with it alone if you don't feel confident to, to deal with it. Great, thank you. And, and, and finally, what could leaders do to become aware of their own use of microaggressions? Because as you've said that people may not even be aware of what they're doing or saying. So, so what are some things that leaders could do to be aware of whether they are, they may be, or using microaggressions? I think it goes back to the points I made about education. Um, it is unacceptable for anyone to say that uh, I didn't know, or I don't know, or I'm not aware. So maybe picking up one of those, you know, literature that talks about what microaggression is, how is it described, what sort of things might I say or do that may come across as, you know, being aggressive to someone at a micro level, you know, you're in a meeting, one of your responsibilities as a leader is, you know, to be inclusive, to make sure that everyone feels included in that, you know, space you know, you're calling a few people to speak, but when somebody speaks, you ignore their comment or you don't validate what they say. Um, you don't use somebody's names. Um, you don't look at their, you know, you don't give them that eye contact. Those are microaggressions, you know, almost kind of making that person feel insignificant in that space. And um, so I think definitely I would say educate yourself. It's no one else's responsibility, but yet you have to, know what constitute, you know, um, microaggression, but also as a leader to become more self-aware in how you're treating people and how you're responding to certain people or maybe not, you know, responding to, to others, but to, to kind of make that conscious effort, you know, to call people by their name. If you don't know how to pronounce their name to ask and say, you know, can you remind me again, how do I pronounce your name? It's okay to ask. And rather than completely giving that person a nickname or just not call their name, not address them by their name. So I think it is that genuine interest in wanting to, to learn and know. And it starts with you. You have to do the work of learning, educating yourself on, you know, on the subject so that you're more aware of, you know, the impact you're having on the other person, whether it's negative or positive. So I would say self-awareness you know, self-educate yourself, uh, but also become genuinely interested in being inclusive as a leader, whether it's in meetings or one-to-one -one interaction with people and, you know, become hyper-focused on, you know, how you're showing up and how you're impacting people around you. 
Thanks for that. Those are some great tips. And I do believe that self-awareness is a critical leadership requirement um, because it enables them to take a deep look at themselves and see themselves and how they interact and engage with other people. So thank you. Um, Jamie, this has been a great discussion. Thank you for sharing your tips, your advice and your experience as well. So if people want to find out more about you or connect with you, where's the best place for them to go? Definitely on LinkedIn, you know, uh, I'll be more than happy to, you know, answer any questions. If you want to follow up with anything I've said, if, if you just generally want to connect, I'm more than happy. You'll find me on LinkedIn. I'm always there. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, um, Jamie. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank, and thank you for listening, everybody. And do um, connect to Jamie on LinkedIn and um, check out what she's posting and what she's sharing and her content. And if you are looking to improve your confidence, influence and impact, then go to my website, aboundingsolutions.com. There's a free assessment that you can complete on there that will uh, let you see the areas that you can focus on and develop. And if you're not part of my High Achieving Introverted Women community, then do join us on Facebook, the High Achieving Introverted Women Facebook group, and on LinkedIn, the High Achieving Introverted Senior Women LinkedIn group, if you are a senior leader. So thank you for listening and until the next time, bye.